Good morning. Welcome to Rivermont. All you who didn't forget to turn your clock ahead an hour, glad to see you this morning. Turn your Bible to Daniel chapter 6, if you would. We come to one of the most famous passages, not only in the book of Daniel, but also the whole Old Testament. This story of Daniel in the lion's den is one of the first Sunday school lessons many of us can remember ever learning. When Daniel was thrown into that den, we might imagine him the strong, strapping lad in the prime of his life, but in reality, he's an old man. Daniel's about 85 or 90 years old as he goes into the lion's den in the twilight of his career in government. He'd outlasted two kings already, and he was serving in a third regime, and now his co-laborers in government wanted to get him out. So they concocted a plan to make it illegal to pray for 30 days upon pain of being thrown into the den of lions that the king kept for his lion hunts. And their friends convinced the king to sign it. Daniel's world was changing fast. What would he do? Daniel chapter 6, let's begin with verse 10. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. Then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and plea before his God. Then they came near and said before the king concerning the injunction, O king, did you not sign an injunction that anyone who makes petition to any god or man within thirty days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? The king answered and said, The thing stands fast according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be revoked. Then they answered and said before the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or the injunction you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. Down to verse 16. Then the king commanded, and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. The king declared to Daniel, May your God whom you serve continually deliver you. And a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den. And the king sealed it with his own signet and with the signets of his lords, that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. Then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him, and sleep fled from him. Then at the break of day, the king arose and went in haste to the den of lions. As he came near to the den where Daniel was, he cried out in a tone of anguish. The king declared to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? Then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My king, my God sent his angel and shut the lions' mouths, and they have not harmed me. Because I was found blameless before him, and also before you, O king, I have done no harm. Then the king was exceedingly glad, and commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den, and no kind of harm was found on him, because he had trusted in his God. Let's stop there. Would you pray with me? Father, we ask that by the power of your Spirit, you would open our eyes to the wonderful things you have for us in your word today. Teach us to trust you and live for you. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. I love those new Food Lion commercials. You know, the ones with the talking lion? 
There's the, the tagline that comes at the end of the commercials is, Life is better with the lion. Oh, really? I might need some convincing of that. Because not all lions are snuggly and looking for a pat on the head, are they? Some of them are out to destroy us. For the little boy in the commercial, when he awakes in the morning on the the first commercial in this series, there's a full-grown lion standing atop him on his bed. And all he can see when he opens his eyes are the teeth of this lion. And I don't know about you, but that would terrify me if I was that little boy. But he sees something different. The little boy sees past the scary lion, for he sees the lion that goes to school with him. He sees the lion that that rides the bus with him, the lion that, that sits with him at his lunch table. This little boy is able to see beyond what his eyes can see. He knows a lion that is different, who who does something more for him than anyone might otherwise expect out of a lion. Daniel had to do the same. And friends, that is truly the life of faith. You and I are called to live beyond trusting in only what our eyes can see. Simply because there is a God who is alive and at work in ways that we may not be able to see. Our God is powerfully at work achieving His own purposes behind and often beyond what you and I have the ability to recognize in the moment. His kingdom is being built. Lives are changing. He is saving and transforming sinners. He's renewing lives through His compelling love. But sometimes we struggle to see it. Sometimes as we look around at our our changing world, we wonder, is God at work at all? Is there anything good happening here? So how can you and I learn to trust in a God who is at work beyond ways that we can see? How do we respond in trust? Well, the first thing that we do in trusting this God who's at work in a changing world is that we invest. We invest in this world. So often we suppose that living for Christ in, in a changing world means that we have to retreat. It means that we have to separate ourselves from the world around us. But did you notice what Daniel does instead? Here was a man who served in two previous regimes and now was serving in the third under Darius when he came to power. And verse 2, Daniel was, set, was one of the rulers. And in fact, he was so invested and served so well that verse 3 says he was set above all the other rulers. Here Daniel was, an old man, and he was the COO of Babylon. He was in charge of the kingdom under Darius. Daniel was putting into practice the call of God that his contemporary prophet Jeremiah had written. When we get to chapter 9, we will see that Daniel was reading the prophecies of Jeremiah. And in Jeremiah 29, verses 5 to 7, as we discussed a few weeks ago, the exiles, including Daniel, were to seek the shalom, the peace, the flourishing the wholeness of the city where God had placed them. They were called to invest themselves, invest their gifts and their talents and their passions and their work so that the whole nation, even that pagan nation of Babylon, would be blessed with the values and the concerns of the kingdom of God. And that call comes upon you and me as Christians to invest in our world too. See, although the world is changing, when we trust the Lord, we're not called to separate ourselves and insulate ourselves from the world around us. Nor is our call to assimilate and use the, lose the distinctiveness of being disciples, not of our culture, but disciples of Jesus. But instead, our call is to invest in our community, in our city, in our nation, as Jesus says, as salt that preserves this world. 
invest today so that this world, this city, this this place might receive a taste of God's heart through you, through the way that you invest in relationships, the way you invest in your work. In other words, move toward this world. Use all your gifts and your talents and pursue art and beauty and invest making the values of the kingdom of God visible in this world. And that doesn't mean that all of us need to go and become vocational missionaries. But instead, we're called to do the radical thing of being who God made us to be exactly where He's placed us. For His glory and not for our own. If you're in business then do it excellently. Do it with integrity so that the people around you are blessed, so that the people begin to experience a well-ordered world under the rule of God through you and your business. If you're in government, then serve with compassion and, and serve with diligence. If you're in health care, then let the value that God places on, the, on, on protecting and preserving life, let that guide you as you seek to bless people in health care. If you're in the service sector, give of yourself so that people experience through you a feeling of being valued and blessed and someone takes their concern as their own and works toward it and seeks to alleviate it. Be a husband, be a father, be a wife, a mother, be a friend that seeks to take seriously the concerns for someone else rather than simply living for whatever makes you happy. We invest in this world even a changing world, because God is on the throne. Now, you may be tempted this morning to give up and just think, what good is it doing anyway? I give and I give, and it doesn't seem like anything is changing. I work and I labor, and it still seems like this world is getting worse and worse and worse. Why do I need to invest in a place that's getting worse? Well, I tell you, don't give up. Because your eyes aren't able to see all the change that God's eyes can see. Your eyes aren't able to recognize all the things that God may be doing not only in you, but through you as you invest in this world, invest in the life of another person and leave the results of that investment to the Lord. Because our God is in charge, our God rules, our God is sovereign. We invest because He's in charge of our changing world. Secondly... We are called to live in trust by enduring. Stop with me for just a moment and be in awe of what verse 4 says. Here Daniel is a leader. He's a politician in Babylon. And he was investigated by other jealous parties. But verse 4 tells us they could find no ground for complaint because he was faithful and no error was found in him. Can we just get a hallelujah for that for just a minute? Here's, Here's a politician who they went to dig up dirt on him and nothing could be found because he was living for the Lord. But how did that turn out for Daniel? Not so well, right? His co-workers began to plot his downfall. They began to look for ways to get him out of there, I think for one of two reasons. Either it was because they were jealous of his power. Here was this exile from Judah who now was the COO of all of Babylon and he had done it three times. They were jealous of him. Or they wanted to get him out because he was so squeaky clean, all their dirt was being exposed all the more. I don't know which was their motive, but 
They went on the attack. They wanted to get Daniel out of his position. And you and I might be called to endure when our character is assaulted too. When our faith may be ridiculed before the world. When our motives of life are questioned. And yet we endure precisely because the Lord is doing things through us that we may not be able to see. When we are attacked, if we refuse to attack back, then perhaps the Lord's mercy and His compassionate way is going to be seen in us rather than an angry response that returns violence for violence or anger for anger. Who knows what purposes the Lord may bring out of His enabling us to endure when you and I may be accused. But we also are called to endure spiritual assault. Here are these conspirators had planned to make prayer illegal for 30 days, verse 7 says. And if someone did pray, if they did seek to have intercession through anyone other than the king, then they would be thrown into the den of lions. Think about it this way. They needed to trap Daniel. That was what they were wanting to do. And what was the one thing that they knew they could get Daniel on and know that he wouldn't give it up? was prayer. What was the one thing that they knew they could they could hoodwink the king into signing a, uh, uh, signing a law that would outlaw the very thing that Daniel wouldn't give up? And that was his life of prayer. Imagine that. I don't know that my life of prayer is that important to me. Is it to you? Now, often we read Daniel 6 and we think that the miracle was in the lion's den, which it was. We'll see that in just a moment. But the miracle started here already. All of Babylon and all of its might and all of its lure and even all of Satan's power attempting to stop Daniel from praying. All this pressure used to try to get Daniel not to turn to the one who holds his heart in his hands. To turn away from the one who holds the heart of Babylon and Darius in his hands too. All that design to try to attempt to break Daniel's vital connection with the Lord. With the one who gives him strength. The one who assures him that God is Emmanuel, God with us. All that attempt to try to disrupt Daniel's living relationship with Jesus. And it didn't work. Isn't that amazing? All that work to get Daniel to stop praying, but he didn't. It doesn't take that much, I think, for me to stop praying. I could easily see how Daniel might rationalize this. It's just 30 days. And after all, if I break the king's law, maybe it will go not only badly for me, but for all of my people. Maybe all of the people of Judah here in exile will be punished because of what I do. It would be easy to rationalize just giving it up for 30 days, wouldn't it? But Daniel didn't. I think that's because he knows something that I only have an inkling of knowing. And that is how vital a prayer relationship truly is with the living God. I think Daniel was able to see that enabling him to endure was the work of prayer. Enabling him to stand, enabling him to continue to be faithful, even in investing in Babylon, enabling him to stand for the Lord was connected to a vital relationship of prayer. And I think that's true for you and for me also. Daniel, verse 10, threw open his window toward Jerusalem. He got on his knees and he prayed just as he had before, verse 10 tells us. Now, why would he do that? Why would he throw open a window to Jerusalem? It's 
It's not like rubbing the lucky rabbit's foot. He's not just hoping that maybe it'll be heard if I open the window and then God can really hear me. But instead, Daniel took God's word and his promises seriously from 1 Kings chapter 8 when Solomon prayed in dedication of the temple. And this is what Solomon said in 1 Kings 8. He said there that if your people, God, are carried away in captivity, check, not that, and if they turn their heart toward you in repentance, which is what Daniel was doing, check, and if they pray toward this place where you dwell. You see, the temple was the visible manifestation of God dwelling with His people. It was a physical place that proved God is with us. And Samuel, uh, Solomon prayed, if we pray to that place where we're reminded that you are with us, then we know that you will hear and have compassion. You see, Daniel was praying and turned to Jerusalem to pray because he was laying hold of God's promise to be with his people. That God would hear their hearts and when they were in distress, God would promise to be with his people. That's why he turned and prayed to Jerusalem. I think, friends, that's the secret of Daniel's endurance. That's the secret of his strength to trust God in this changing and increasingly dangerous world. The secret was he was grabbing hold of God's promises and he was connecting to the God who made the promises. You see, it was the fact that, that, that a loving and gracious God promised to be compassionate and personally dwell with His people in the middle of whatever tragedy was happening, that promise enabled Daniel to withstand the threats toward his life. That's where his strength comes from. And that's where our strength comes from too when we pray God's promises back to Him. And when we pray those promises and we ask that the Lord would give us the strength to believe, to trust them when we can't see in any way how your promises are going to work out. That's where the secret of endurance lies. It's in praying and laying hold of God's promises and reminding Him of those promises and saying, Lord, I can't see any way that this is going to work out, but would You work it out? Because you're trustworthy. That's the secret of endurance. I was reminded this week of a story I'd read a few years ago from Ravi Zacharias's early evangelistic ministry in Vietnam. He went there in 1971 to preach, and many people were converted on his preaching that year, including his translator. And when Ravi left that country, his translator was arrested and imprisoned for years. Ravi obviously lost contact with this man, and in 1998, that translator who had become a Christian got in touch with Ravi Zacharias and said, you have to hear my story. Here was a man who was thrown into prison simply for being associated with Ravi Zacharias. He had become a Christian and this man struggled to continue trusting the Lord for years in horrible circumstances in this, in this prison camp. And the day came after a number of years when this man said, I give up. Today, I'm not going to pray because it seems like the Lord's left me here all alone. I have nothing to hang on to today. I'm not going to pray. That same day, that very day, the Vietnamese man who was running the prison camp assigned to the translator latrine duty. So here this man was thinking like life is getting worse. I've got latrine duty now. So he went on his way, mucking out the latrines that day, and he saw a scrap of paper. 
in the muck and in the mire. And he recognized on that scrap of paper was some some English writing. And so he grabbed it out and he cleaned it off and put it in his jacket until he got to a private place where he could read it. The man got back to a place where it was safe to pull out that scrap of English paper and literature. And on that scrap was this text from Romans chapter 8. Who shall separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus? Shall tribulation or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or sword. Nothing in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. That man said, the Lord is speaking to me. Here's the very day that I decided I'm not going to pray anymore because I've been left all alone. And here was God proving to me, I've not forgotten you. I've not left you there alone. Endure by remembering my promises. For I'm with you even in the muck of life to nourish your soul. I'll even go to the lengths of something like this to strengthen you for the days ahead. This man received that that text of Scripture and he went back the next morning and asked the prison guard, can I have latrine duty again? And the guy was surprised. Sure, okay. And so he went back and he found another scrap of paper. And he did it day after day after day. And soon enough, he figured out that this prison guard was using the pages of an English Bible as his toilet paper. And this man, who was imprisoned and had thought God had forgotten him, that God had given up on him, he found promises to lay hold of in the dirt and grime and muck of his life. Maybe that's where you are today. Maybe you feel like, Lord, I need to be reminded because I feel like I'm ready to give up. I can't endure this anymore. Maybe you need to be reminded that strength comes from laying hold of the promises of God, that He is completely trustworthy. Whatever you face in your life, whatever... Dirt is all around you. The Lord will be with you. And He will never forget you. He will never forsake you. And He will go to extreme lengths to assure you and me that He won't forget us. Friends, that's the secret of enduring. Grasping hold of those promises of God when it seems like everything in the world is falling apart. I have nowhere else to turn. Grab hold of those promises of your faithful Savior. Third, we see in this passage that living with trust in Christ in a changing world calls us to look. To look. This passage is not a lesson that if you're good and you're faithful, then God's going to come rescue you. If you're good and you're faithful, then God's going to shut the lion's mouth of whatever trial you're going through. How do I know that's not the lesson? Think of Jesus. He certainly was a better boy. He certainly was more faithful than Daniel. But what came to him was beatings and crucifixion. And the lesson here is not be good to God and he'll be good to you. But instead, the lesson is that we are called to learn to look for signs of God's mercy everywhere. Look, because God is at work in ways we would never dream of him working in our lives. 
Here again, in this same book, we find the character on the precipice of destruction, just like in chapter 3 with the fiery furnace. Imagine what Daniel must have felt when the soldiers came to arrest him and take him to the lion's den. You see, he's walking, all right, God, any time now, it's, it's time for you to deliver me. Take a few more steps. You can hear the lions roar in that pit. All right, um, we're getting close to the door, God, and now's the time. All right, one, two, ready, go. Nothing happened. God, are you, are you up there? Where are you? I'm about to be thrown in this pit. Where are you, God? And yet, as with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, God's plan was not to deliver him from the trial. But instead, God's plan was to go into the trial with him. Once again, we see in verse 22, the angel of the Lord. Perhaps it was the the pre-incarnate Lord Jesus that went into the den with Daniel and was able to shut the mouths of the lion. He didn't rescue him by taking him out of the trial. God went into the trial with him. Daniel went to that edge of that lion's den expecting and knowing that God is faithful. God goes with me. But he had no idea what was going to come about. He had no idea how God was going to prove that he was faithful. The same is true for you and me. So often God is faithful, but we don't have any idea how he's going to show up and prove that to us. That same Vietnamese man, a few days after finding those Bible passages, was was visited by four soldiers. I don't know how they found out, but these four soldiers said to him, I hear you're planning an escape. He said, no, I'm not planning an escape. And so the soldiers went away. But that man began to think about his testimony to Christ. If they were to come back and ask him again, are you planning an escape? Now, I'm not interested in debating whether it was a good idea or whether it was wise for this man to tell the truth here. But this man determined before the Lord that it would be better for his testimony for Jesus if he told the truth and let God handle the results. The men came back a few days later and they asked once more, are you planning an escape? And the man said, yes, I'm planning to escape. And those four soldiers said, good, we want to go with you. We want to get out of here too. How in the world could God pull that off? He calls on us to look. Because in the pit of our lives, God is going to do more than you are able to see with your eyes. Look for and expect signs of God's mercy, signs of God's presence. Because He's with you in the pit. Even if you can't see your own way and how to get out, God is in there with you. We don't know what He's going to do. But he's promised to be with his people. He's promised to save his people. Now, he might save us through death. But he has promised to save us. Daniel was taken safely out of that lion's den. And in verse 22, it says he was blameless. And in verse 23, he was saved because he had trusted in his God. Now, that may sound bold to you and to me. But here's what Daniel is saying. In this instance... When I was put to the test, I didn't betray God and I didn't betray you, Darius. He's saying, my faith grew legs. It got put to work. 
His testimony was that the Lord is worthy of trust and the Lord will determine whether it is best for me to live or to die. But I will not betray him because the Lord is trustworthy. Wow. That was a living faith, a living trust in the Lord that took steps not knowing what God was going to do, but simply knowing the God who promises life. Whether it's being saved out of the lion's den or being saved through the resurrection of his body, the Lord was promising life to Daniel and he promises it to you and to me. He calls on us to take steps of faith, following after him and leave the results to him to work out. For the Lord is able to do far more than we could ever ask or imagine. Now you and I may be being called to the Lord by the Lord to take a step of faith, a step in obedience without Him showing you where your foot is going to land. It may cause you great anxiety because you can't see your own way forward. And yet we know that our God is able to do what's unexpected. Our God is able to do more than we ask or imagine for His own glory and ultimately for our good. Maybe he's going to shut the mouths of what feels like lions in our lives. Maybe not. But we know that the Lord goes with us and he's trustworthy. What happened here with Daniel certainly was unexpected. Perhaps some of the details of the story sounded familiar as I read them to you. Verse 16, he was cast into the den of lions in what may expected to be his tomb. Then verse 17, a stone was laid over the mouth of the tomb and then the king sealed the tomb with his own ring so that no one could let him out. And then everyone went home and then the messenger came back the next morning and ran in haste, verse 19, to see what had happened. Instead of death, life was found in that tomb. He who was expected to be dead was in fact very alive. Have you ever heard that story before? There's a good reason that the early church saw the lion's den as a shadow of the tomb of Jesus. They saw it as a picture, as a a foreshadowing, as, as Daniel, like Jesus, going into the tomb. And the Lord Jesus, the true faithful one, the true blameless one, the righteous one, went condemned to the tomb for my guilt and your guilt, my death and your death. And its mouth was sealed with the stone and the ruler's seal. And on the third day, when the women came to the tomb, they found an unexpected work of God. The tomb was open and Jesus was alive. And the angel asked, why do you search for the living among the dead? He was murdered. He was crucified for our sins, the righteous and blameless for the sinful and the guilty like us. He went into that grave and in only what God could do, he came out alive again so that we might follow after him clean and holy and eternally alive. See, friends, going into the tomb, going into the trial, going into the suffering, that's not the end of your life. Even if your physical life is snuffed out, that's not the end. Because Jesus came out of the grave. He physically walked out so that you and I might follow him in life eternal. You see, God has done the unexpected thing. He gave his own son for us 
so that you and I could go about our lives looking for His hand of goodness, His hand of blessing, His hand of life for sinners like us. Daniel came out of that lion's den under the power of God just as Jesus would walk out of His tomb alive. And because of that, you and I can face our own lion's dens today. If you have a pressing disease facing your life, we know that disease itself has been defeated in Jesus' death and resurrection. Our sickness, our disease doesn't have the last word over our lives. Jesus has the last word over our lives. We can deal with accusers. For we know that the mouth of the devil, the ultimate accuser, has been shut. And the Lord loves us even when we are accused. Even when the accusations are true. The Lord knows us. He knows our shame. And He loves us still. The accuser's mouth is shut. We can deal with being rejected and being counted strange for living for God in this ever-changing world because we know that Jesus has gone ahead and He's promised the final victory. His kingdom shall prevail. He took all of our guilt and our shame and He entered the tomb and He came out again alive. And now He is at work in you. Sometimes in ways you can see and sometimes in ways you can't see today but he is at work because he's alive trust him and live for him in this ever-changing world invest and endure and look for signs of his mercy let's pray father we ask that you would give us eyes to see for so often lord our eyes are covered over and blinded by all the brokenness and the pain and the suffering that we experience in this world. And it is hard for us to see that you are even alive, much less at work. It's hard for us to see it in our own hearts and lives sometimes. It's hard for us to see it in our city, our nation, in our world. And yet we know that you are on the throne. And we know that you are alive and you are at work because you alone have come out of the grave victorious. And so we ask that you would enable us to live for you, to trust you, even when our eyesight fails. Give us spiritual eyesight that we might invest and endure and look for you at work. Help us to see in Christ's name. Amen.